0: following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. If you've got a Bible, just turn, uh, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, because a lot of what we've just been reflecting on in worship and just singing about uh, just takes us into the kinds of themes that are going to surface in this text this morning. We'll take up our offering as we do this, so um, the team that's doing that, if you could circulate those offering bags now, that'd be great, and we take up this offering each week for the work of the church. But we're in this series in 2 Corinthians, and we just started this next week. So if, uh, last week, sorry. so if you weren't here last week, uh, you might want to have a listen to that message online. Uh, last week I did just a scene-setting kind of message in 2 Corinthians, and we talked about what this book looks like as a whole and some of the major themes in it. We met the Apostle Paul and talked a bit about his story and his background as a Pharisee and then as a follower of Jesus. We talked a bit about the church in Corinth, the city of Corinth uh, that Paul is writing this letter into and some of the struggles that were going on there, some of the struggles going on in the church at Corinth at the time and this group of super apostles that had come in and we're influencing and infiltrating the church, these guys that were basically puffing themselves up, talking themselves up, preaching Christ, uh, preaching themselves rather than Christ. And Paul comes along and in this book he just refuses to play the games of the super apostles. He refuses to engage in that kind of boasting and that kind of self-talk. And instead he just lifts up Jesus and he he focuses this church, this dysfunctional, pretty self-centered church, he focuses them back. Onto Christ, and I think if you if you really if you want one phrase that sums up this book that sums up the book of Second Corinthians, it's strength and weakness. I mean, Paul says that pretty explicitly in the last couple of chapters, but that's really the, that's the book. That's the flavor of this whole book is understanding what it means to be strong and weak at the same time, and how both of those come together in the life of the believer in a powerful way. And so you'll see that. You'll see that resurface. Like in today's text, it's there. Uh, Not always quite with that language, but that's what Paul's getting at time and time again. He doesn't mind being weak if it means that Jesus is seen as being strong. So last week, we looked at just the first two verses. And by the way, there are study sheets for these messages. So if you want to grab those, they're over in the info center or they're on the website. We looked last week at just the first two verses here, verse one and two of 2 Corinthians, just the greeting. Just the greeting that Paul, Paul basically says hello, and that's all we, we, we touched on last week. But we're going to dive into the next section of chapter one this morning. In most of Paul's letters, after he's had this initial section, this initial greeting, then he goes into what is called a thanksgiving section. And, and that's where he, well, he just does that. He thanks God. He thanks God for something that's going on in the church. He thanks God for something that's going on in his life. Or he thanks God just for generally his mercies and his blessings and whatever it is that's on Paul's heart to give thanks to God for. And that's what he does in 2 Corinthians. So in chapter 1, after he finishes the greeting, he just launches straight into this great thanksgiving section, praising God, blessing God, and that's the part we'll look at today. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll start at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient suffering—sorry, pa- patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us, In answer to the prayers of many. A couple of years ago, uh, when we visited Jerusalem, we spent some time walking this path that is called the Via Dolorosa. It literally means the way of suffering or the way of pain, the road of pain. And this is the traditional path that Jesus walked from his trial before Caiaphas the high priest through those final hours of his life to the cross. And so it's this path that winds its way through the inner city of Jerusalem through these small little narrow cobbled streets uh, but still bustling with people still absolutely packed and you and you walk this path that's believed to be the road of Christ's passion and along the way along the path there are these 14 stations called stations of the cross and each of these stations has a church connected to it and you can go inside the church and reflect uh, on what happened to Christ at this particular point, all the various parts of the story and where, where Simon is forced to carry the cross and where the woman weep for Christ and so on, all these points, and you stop and you reflect and you remember this passion, the, the way of suffering that Christ walked. And it's a, it's a profound experience for anyone to go through, even though it's, it's, you know, it's modern-day Jerusalem and it's bustling with people. Uh, it's, it really brings you into a sense of solidarity with Jesus and what he must have gone through in that time and in that walk, on that walk to Calvary. In some ways, in this passage, what Paul is doing is is sort of walking his own Via Dolorosa. He's kind of walking us through his own sufferings, not literally in Jerusalem, but Paul's documenting his own sufferings and his own struggles. And as he does that, he's kind of sharing in something of the sufferings of Christ. And he sees himself in some way as walking in the footsteps of Jesus and walking this Via Dolorosa so that his struggles and his sufferings are bringing him closer to Jesus. And the difficult times that he's going through in some way are creating a sense of solidarity between Paul and Jesus, which he unpacks for us. So what Paul does, he doesn't go into a lot of specifics here about the struggles that he's gone through. He does in some other places, but here he's quite general and he's quite tactical too. Because when he starts talking about his struggles, he deliberately chooses to focus not on the struggles in the Corinthian church for now. He's just starting out his letter. He's trying to build a relationship with them. He's trying to build some rapport. So he doesn't focus on them to start with. He focuses on some other struggles that he's had in the place where he's writing from, which is Ephesus. So he says in verse 8, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, Asia is not the continent of Asia today. This is an area, it was an area in western Turkey, where Paul was writing this letter from, which included Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. And so Paul is probably talking about the troubles and the, and the trials that he's gone through in that, in that area, in Ephesus. And he went through some real troubles in Ephesus. There was massive opposition to Paul's work when he was in that city. When he planted the church in Ephesus, all sorts of different groups of people came against him, wanted to shut him down, were opposing him, putting huge pressure on him to the point that he was driven out of town. And you can read this in the book of Acts. One of the stories uh, that Acts describes that happened to Paul in Ephesus is that he was, uh, his ministry was having an effect on the, on the production of these shrines that were being made for another god. And so a whole mob kind of formed against Paul and against his colleagues. They grabbed hold of a couple of Paul's colleagues, and this, they dragged them into the city theater. They were almost about to be lynch-mobbed by this hostile crowd, very volatile kind of situation. Paul wanted to go into the theater to, to address the crowd, try and defend them and defend himself. But his other colleagues thought that was too dangerous, so they refused to let him go in. Eventually, the city clerk comes in and diffuses the situation. But Paul was so pressurized by that situation and the hostility there, it wasn't long after that he was driven out of town. He had to leave Ephesus and and leave some unfinished work there with the church that he was pastoring. So he had a very hard, and that's only one story, he had a tough time in in this part of the, the Middle East as he was going about his ministry. But what's interesting in this chapter, when you read the book of Acts, you get all of these external details. You get all this externally, you know, this is what happened, these are the facts on the ground. But now as Paul's writing this letter in 2 Corinthians, you get this insight into what is happening internally with him while he was going through all of that. You get this insight into what's happening psychologically with Paul while he's facing that opposition. And here's what he says at the end of verse 8. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. That word pressure, it literally means a weight A heaviness, a burden. Paul's saying we were we were just under this heavy, heavy burden because of all this opposition, this aggression that was coming at us. We were just weighed down by it internally. You know what that's like when you when you're going through real stress, something really tough is going on, it's just a heaviness. Just that heaviness, it just sits on you, you know, like a rock around your neck, just that burden. Paul's saying that's, that's what it was. That's what we felt like. We just were weighed down by these struggles that were going on. And this was far beyond our ability to endure. Isn't that interesting? You know, we assume God doesn't give us anything beyond what we can endure, but Paul says here we were under pressure far beyond our own ability to endure in and of ourselves. So Paul's saying we basically got to the end of ourselves. We were under psychological pressure, emotional stress, mental strain, beyond our capacity. Paul's saying, I didn't have the the resources to deal with the situation. I didn't have the emotional and mental resources to bring to this, to figure it out. I was completely at the end of my rope. You get the sense here, Paul's sort of teetering on a nervous breakdown. This is the kind of strain that he's describing. This is the kind of psychological pressure that he was under at this point, beyond his ability to endure. And then he goes on, he says, so we despaired of life itself at the end of verse 8. It got so bad for Paul that he just sunk into despair. And this is Paul, the great apostle. This is Paul, the apostle of hope, the apostle of grace. And he's saying there's times, I just, I just despaired. I, I just, I, he was so discouraged. He was so disillusioned. He was so defeated by what was going on. He just despaired of life itself. And then he rounds it all off by saying in verse 9, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Now, he, didn't actually, he had not actually received a death sentence. This is not a comment about any legal kind of verdict. This is just Paul saying this is how we felt. We felt like we were on death row, is what he's saying. We felt like we were dead men walking. We just felt like death on the inside. That sounds to me like depression. I'm not a therapist, but that sounds like there's times in Paul's ministry where he went through serious clinical depression. It's amazing to think about, isn't it? You know, This is Paul, the hero of our faith, the great apostle, the great church planter, and we can sometimes idealize Paul, and we picture him as this fearless leader, and he just strides into town, and he just deals with people, and he fends off all opposition. And here's Paul saying, I've gone through serious times in my ministry where I was depressed like really depressed, and I could not get myself out of it. I was in a dark, dark space. This is Paul, and he writes this. Not just that he's gone through it, but he actually puts it in a letter and sends it to some people who were giving him a hard time, and he basically starts his letter. This is the first thing he deals with in the body of his letter to this church that's frustrating him and, and, and expecting him to be strong and expecting him to be bravado and expecting him to be like the super apostles and Paul's saying, Let me just open my heart to you here. I, I'm depressed. And I'm struggling. And I'm suffering. And I'm okay with you knowing that. It's an incredibly vulnerable thing for him to write. But he does. He's open about it. And he's not the only one. You look through Scripture and this pops up time and time again. You see it with King David in the Old Testament. He writes in Psalm 13, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow. Why do I have to have such sorrow in my heart every day? He asks. It basically sounds like depression. King David struggled with depression. You think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says he's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death And he sweats drops of blood on the ground. Jesus is basically having an anxiety attack in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know how this sits with you to think of David being depressed and Jesus having a panic attack and Paul being on the edge of a nervous breakdown. But these are the heroes of our faith. And we should be inspired by them and we should, of course, look up to them. But we should also recognize there's a humanity here that struggles and suffers and is weak and is broken, and they're okay with us knowing about it. And maybe our first response to this passage should be to be sort of okay with the fact that sometimes we're not okay. This is a phrase that Roland gave me last week. It's okay not to be okay sometimes. It seemed to be okay for Paul not to be okay. And to be open about that. I think this passage and passages like this give us the freedom to be open, at least with ourselves, about our own struggles, to be a little bit more open maybe with God about what we're going through, to be open with other people. I think sometimes we still assume, Christians still assume, that really spiritual people don't struggle with things like depression and anxiety, low self-esteem kind of think, No, no, if you're a Christian, you don't deal with any of that. And Paul's saying, well, I did. And he's not talking about his life before he met Jesus. This is as a follower of Christ. As an apostle, Paul's saying, I'm going through serious times of depression. It's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to be open about that with others in a safe way. But what's really important here for Paul is the way that he frames his suffering, the way that he frames up his struggles. He has a particular way of looking at struggle and pain and suffering in his life. And this becomes the paradigm for us in looking at struggles and suffering in our own life. And he says it in verse 5 quite succinctly. He says, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So Paul's saying that when he suffers, when he struggles, like he did in Ephesus, in some way he is sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That's how he understands it. That to struggle and to suffer, and this is not just Paul, and this is not just when you suffer For being a Christian, or you're persecuted as a Christian, it's not just in those kinds of contexts. Any kind of trouble, any kind of difficulty, any kind of pain you're going through, this is a, a sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. When we struggle and when we suffer in our lives, we are walking the Via Dolorosa. We are walking in the footsteps of Jesus' own suffering. That's, that's a difficult thing, I think, to get our heads around sometimes because we look at Jesus' suffering, we look at His passion, and it's incredibly unique. And it's, it's so sacred. I mean, what Jesus went through in His sufferings. And how can we possibly take our puny sufferings and, and the tedious things that we go through and the trivial difficulties of our lives, how can we possibly put that next to Jesus' sufferings and saying that we're sharing in the sufferings of Christ? But this is not about comparing ourselves to Jesus. This is not about saying my my trials are the same kinds of things as Jesus. It's not about that. Of course, Christ's sufferings were completely unique. He achieved what we could never achieve through His suffering on our behalf. But it's saying in some way, and this is how God designed it, in some way when we struggle, when we battle, when we suffer, we are brought into a solidarity with Christ through that experience so that we can share in something, we can taste something of His own struggles, in our struggles, it's a mysterious thing. I don't fully understand it, but somehow our struggles in life have the power to bring us into this bond, into this union with Jesus, like nothing else can. And it depends, I think, on a particular way of viewing Christ's sufferings. When Paul thought about Jesus and his sufferings, he thought about it in a couple of different ways. In one sense, in one hand, Christ suffered for us, Christ suffered as our substitute as our representative, on our behalf, to reconcile us to God. That's our salvation, that Christ has suffered for us. But in another sense, Paul saw that Jesus also suffered with us. And this is vital to understand our own journey, our own suffering, that Christ on the cross suffered with us. He didn't just suffer for us as our Savior. He suffered with us as our brother. He suffered with us in solidarity. When Jesus suffered... Through, through his passion, he identified himself with all those who would suffer in many, many ways. And that's all of us. He identified himself with everyone who would ever struggle, everyone who would ever grieve, everyone who would ever feel hopeless, everyone who would ever mourn, every, everyone who would ever be under stress and anxiety, depression, feeling lost, feeling lonely, whatever it is. Jesus on the cross identified himself with those experiences, Because he took those experiences upon himself. Through his suffering, Jesus entered into a deep solidarity with everyone who would ever suffer. He suffered for us as offenders, but he suffered with us as victims. With us as victims of everything that we do to ourselves and everything that happens to us and that others do to us. He suffered alongside us. And somehow his suffering has created an incredible bond where we can enter into that solidarity with Him when we suffer. Because He's not only suffered for us on the cross and suffered with us on the cross, now He comes and enters into our suffering in the present. So whenever you suffer, whenever you're going through something, whatever it is, big or small, whatever hardship you're facing in life, Christ comes to you in that suffering and He takes it upon Himself. This is who God is. This is who Christ is. God, When, when you struggle, when you battle, God doesn't stand at a distance. He doesn't stand at a distance and just offer sympathy. You know, sympathy is saying, I feel sorry for you. Sympathy is saying, I feel bad for you. I'm sorry that's happened to you. Sympathy is having pity on the person. And it's good and it's well-intentioned, but there's always that sense of distance there. But because of the cross, because God himself has suffered and died now, the cross has moved God from sympathy To empathy. And empathy is a different thing. Empathy is entering into the suffering of another. Not just standing at a distance and wishing them well, but entering into that experience of suffering with another person. And this is why Hebrews 4 says we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us but one who has been tempted, tested in every way, just as we have. Now we have a God who is able, when we suffer, to enter in to the very experience we're going through. So that means that when you feel lonely, you feel isolated, God doesn't just just come alongside you, but he allows himself to feel that loneliness. He actually feels what you are feeling. Not that God himself is lonely, but he allows himself to feel the weight of what you're feeling. So when you're feeling anxious, God allows himself to feel something of that anxiety. He actually suffers along with us and enters right into it. When you just feel completely stressed and just overwhelmed by what is going on in your life at the moment, God enters into the stress of that situation. And he allows himself to feel it. That's empathy. He actually takes our pain. He takes our burden upon himself. That's what the word compassion means. When Paul describes God as the father of compassion, you know what compassion means? To suffer with. Come, with, passion, suffer. To suffer with. It's more than sympathy that's being talked about here. God is the God who suffers with us. It's extraordinary. There is no other worldview like this. There is no other religion. Like this. We have a God, we worship a God who, who descends down into our pain and actually brings himself under our burdens and allows himself to shoulder it with us. It's an amazing thing. And that is where the comfort comes from. So when Paul starts talking about I'm receiving comfort from Christ, that's where he's going with this. What what is more comforting than knowing we have a God who actually suffers with us? and who experiences empathy with us because of his own suffering on the cross. It's profound that God does that. And he does all of that while still being God, being sovereign, being almighty. doesn't take away anything from that. And yet he still empathizes deeply with us. That's incredibly comforting. I read the story a few years ago of a woman who was recounting an experience she had in Auschwitz, the prison camp under the Nazi regime. She talked about one day all the prisoners were assembled and there was a public hanging, two Jewish men and a young boy. And she said the Jewish men died quickly and the young boy struggled in torment for a long time. And she said the prisoners were all there and they were forced to to watch there and be present as this was all unfolding. And she said she heard a voice from the crowd saying, Where is God? And she said, From within me, I heard the reply come. He is there. He is on the gallows. That's who God is. He's God on the gallows. Struggling with those who struggle. Suffering with those who suffer. Some Christians made a similar statement after the Christchurch earthquake. And people asked, where is God in this? And the reply came, he's in the rubble. He's in the rubble. He weeps with those who weep. He mourns with those who mourn. He does not stand at a distance, but he enters right in. And that's where our comfort comes from, is knowing that God comes that close to us to enter into the pain of what we're feeling. It's a bit like Job's friends who came alongside him. Their problem started when they opened their mouth and started talking. But just before that, when they first arrived, you know what they do? It says they sat with Job for seven days and they did not say a word. And they sat in the ashes Because they saw his suffering was so great and they did not say a word. They were seeking not just to be sympathetic but to empathize. And this is what our Father does for us, our Heavenly Father. That's how near he comes. He comes to us and he sits in the ashes with us. And he empathizes. This is what it means for us to share in the sufferings of Christ. And the way in which God does this is through his Holy Spirit in our lives. The word comfort that Paul uses several times in this passage. It's the word paraklesis. Very similar, same root word, to the word that Jesus himself uses for the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, he describes the Holy Spirit as the parakletos, the comforter, sometimes translated the encourager or the advocate. And the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside to empathize with us. The Spirit of God is the comforter. He is our comforter. That doesn't always mean that you're going to have a strong sense or feeling of God's presence in the midst of your suffering. I think this is really important. Sometimes we almost romanticize suffering, as if when you, when you go through difficult times, you're going to have this amazing experience of God's presence, and He's going to feel so close to you. But you know what it's like when you struggle. It's hard to pray, isn't it? It's hard to read the Bible. And you, a lot of the time, you don't feel anywhere near God. So the point here is not that you're going to have a great emotional experience of God's presence because sometimes it's just hard to hold on in the midst of something. Sometimes you just cannot even bring yourself to say a single word to God because you're mad at Him or whatever it is, and that's okay. It's okay to be in that space, but you can still know what is real in that time, that God is still suffering with you, and the Holy Spirit is still the parakletos, the encourager, the one who comes alongside, enters in, sits in the ashes, And just seeks to breathe a little bit of encouragement into your life. Just seeks to breathe a little bit of hope where there's complete hopelessness. A little bit of faith where there's often complete faithlessness. A little bit of peace where there's often massive anxiety and uncertainty. This is the ministry of the Spirit. Just gently, just mediating the presence of God to us. Just as the Spirit on the cross mediated the presence of the Father to the Son. The Spirit comes to us in our sufferings and mediates the presence of the Father to us. Even when we feel God-forsaken, as Jesus did. And we have that experience of just feeling utterly abandoned by God. Even then, the Spirit comes, comforts, encourages. He's the lifter of our heads. Just gives us a little bit more faith, a little bit more hope. This is God's ministry to us. So there's this beautiful, uh, the way Paul describes it, this beautiful Trinitarian shape to God's comfort. It comes from the Father, the Father of all compassion, Father of all comfort. Our Heavenly Father is the God of all comfort, but it comes through the Son, Jesus. We share in the sufferings of Christ. We walk the Via Dolorosa in our sufferings, and then it comes to us via the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who lives within us to press the comfort of God on our hearts enter into our experience, bring that empathy right into our life. So the comfort of God flows from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, into our lives. And then guess where it's supposed to go from there? Out into the lives of others. This is where Paul goes, right, with his argument. It doesn't just stop with us. The comfort of God comes to us so that we might be vessels of God's comfort to other people. That's why Paul says, where is it, about verse 3, verse 4, God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. As we experience the empathy of God in our lives, we are better able to empathize with others in their struggles. Have you ever had this experience where you've been talking with a, with a Christian person who's really going through a hard time, really difficult time, and you notice when you're talking to them that they seem to be completely concerned with other people? And their focus, it's like, it's not on themselves at all. I noticed this with Murray Dixon when he was going through his, his cancer. And, and those years there where he battled and struggled, you talk to Murray and his focus was never on himself. It was always on others. And I heard this story time and again. People would call Murray and they'd come and visit Murray. And his first question would, to them would be, how are you going with this particular struggle in your life? And how's this thing that I know you're battling with over here? And it was like his whole disposition was turned outwards towards other people. But this is what the empathy of God does to us. When a person is genuinely experiencing God's empathy in their struggle, it heightens their ability to have empathy for other people. Because God is entering into our suffering. And so in those times, we feel the suffering of others. And we are able to connect with others in their pain. That's the gift of empathy. That's the gift that God brings us in our pain. What that means is that those of you now who are really struggling, you are actually best placed to extend the love of God to someone else. Because right now, in the midst of your pain, God is giving you the gift of empathy. And you know this. When you struggle, you just feel the struggles of other people around you. It's a strange thing, isn't it? But this is the way empathy works. And so then we are better able to connect with other people when we are going through tough stuff in our own life because we feel that pain that other people are going through. And empathy shapes our response to those situations. So when you have empathy for a person, you don't come into the situation trying to fix it. When you have empathy for a person, you don't just try and solve their problems. There may be things to be done and there may be advice to be given. But when you have empathy, you feel something of what they feel. And you may not be able to relate to that particular situation, but it's like your heart just aches for what their heart is aching for. And you feel just something of the loss. And you feel just something of the heaviness that they feel. And you allow yourself to enter into that, because that's exactly what God is doing for you. He's entering into your suffering, and then in turn you are entering into the suffering of others. It's an amazing gift. And even though it's hard, and I know some of you, you're battling, It's it's just enough to try and keep yourself afloat. But just be mindful. You may be in a golden position to extend empathy to someone else around you precisely because you are receiving it from the Father of all comfort. And then whether or not we feel empathy, and whether or not that's our experience right now, we can still be God's hands and feet of comfort to other people, can't we? We can still comfort others in practical ways. I think sometimes, especially guys, get a little bit uneasy with this idea of comforting Other people, you know, we get a little bit wary of that word comfort. It's like we're going to have to talk about our feelings here. We're not too keen on that. Are we going to have to hold hands at some point? Is there going to be hugging involved? We don't know. And comfort just kind of has that sense to it. We don't quite know where we're heading with that word. But remember, comfort is the ministry of the Spirit. He is the the encourager, the one who comes alongside to encourage and empathize. And that is all we're called to do, to come alongside others, to encourage them, to empathize with them, and just to seek to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them and express kindness to them however we can. I experienced this about a month or so ago. Um, I had a, just going through a tough time in February, and there were some things going on, some personal circumstances that were just hard and exhausting and really depleting and draining. And in the middle of all that, I woke up one morning just with a searing pain in my neck and just couldn't move my head. The pain was just intense. And I thought... My first thought was, I wonder if this is, I just bought a new pillow, one of these big fat pillows, you know, and I thought, I wonder if that's the problem, you know, I've just been sleeping on this funny, or I just went, the pillow's too big, something's wrong. So I made an appointment with a physio, uh, and I thought, uh, what I'll do is I'll take my pillow in. I hadn't really thought this through very well, but I thought I'll take my pillow with me, and then I can lie down on on his table and pretend to sleep, and he can look at my posture and tell me whether this is an issue with my neck or not. Um, so my physio was working at Club Physical that day. So what I ended up having to do was walk right through the entire length of Birkenhead Shopping Mall with my pillow under my arm and then into Club Physical, you know, into this gym carrying a pillow. And on my, on my way out, the receptionist actually said to me, you may be the only person who's ever walked into a gym carrying a pillow. <laughs> so it was pretty embarrassing, but it turns out that it wasn't actually the pillow. Uh, but before all of that, I'd gone into, gone into work and just done a little bit of, of work before uh, heading out to the physio. And one of our elders, Rich, came into work uh, that morning. He was, he was in the area for his work. And he just popped in, and we were chatting, and I was telling him about what was going on with me. And he just offered to pray for me. Just simple, humble, unassuming prayer, but just a brother in Christ praying for me in that way. And it was a real encouragement. And it just sent me off into my day with a little bit more comfort, a little bit more encouragement than I had. And it's as simple as that. It's as simple as praying for someone else. And I know that comes easier to some than others, but that can be what comfort looks like. It's just actually praying for another person who's in need. It could look like just having a drink with someone at the pub. That could be comforting, just being with them, just hanging out. It may be sending a text to someone, It may just be being there for them and just sitting with them and just having a cup of tea and letting them talk, not trying to fix it, not trying to provide answers, maybe providing some practical help to people who are struggling in some way. It can be an incredible blessing to them. But is there someone in your life who's struggling at the moment and you could be something of a comfort to them? Is there someone in your world who's really going through it And maybe this week, could you do one thing? Could you think of one way that you could extend comfort to that person? Just letting them know that you're thinking of them is huge. And you know this for the times that other people have done it to you. Just letting the person know that you're thinking of them and you're praying for them goes an incredibly long way. That is comforting and that is encouraging and that is you passing on the comfort that you are receiving from God. Just think about one person in your world this week. Can you reach out to them? And remind them that they're in your thoughts and they're in your prayers. And maybe there's something around that practically that you can do to help. So this is the beautiful picture of God's comfort that Paul paints for us. That it flows from the Father of all compassion through the Son, Jesus. We share in his suffering. It's an incredible experience. And then his comfort flows through the Holy Spirit into our lives. And out from us, into the lives of others, so that we comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. So may we really experience that empathy of the Father. Open our lives to it when we go through difficult times. Rather than closing ourselves off from God, allow ourselves to receive the empathy that He gives us. And may we be a conduit of God's comfort and compassion and empathy into the lives of others in our faith community here, but beyond, to express God's love to those who are hurting and broken and in need, to comfort others with the comfort that we've received from God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the father of all comfort. And we thank you that you have done such an incredible thing in coming into this world, suffering, and not only to save us, but to enter into our pain and to enter into our struggles. And Jesus, when we picture all of that involved for you and the immensity of the struggle that you went through, it's incredible to think that when we suffer, we get to share in something of your own suffering, that we are just tasting a fraction of it in our own lives. And Father, I pray this morning for all those who are here who right now are really struggling and need your comfort in their lives. Just need that touch of your spirit in their lives. And I pray that they would be so aware right now that you are suffering with them. That you are feeling what they feel and you're shouldering that burden. You're the God who carries our burdens. And I pray that they would just be mindful of that. Whether or not they have any particular emotional response to that, I pray they'd just be aware that you are right there with them and suffering alongside them. And Father, as a church and as individuals, we pray that we would be a community of comfort, a community of compassion to one another, to those in our lives, at work, at home. Father, just, just heighten our awareness of the struggles and the pain that others around us are carrying and give us the courage to step into those situations, to encourage, to comfort, to say, a word just to be present, whatever it is. God, give us the boldness to take the opportunities that are there, not to shrink away because we don't know what to do, we don't know what to say, but to lean into it and to seek to be your hands and feet and voice of encouragement in the lives of others. Make us a community of compassion, a community of comfort, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.